You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for October 23rd, 2022, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based on Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Good morning. Let's take a brief moment and transport ourselves and go up with the Pharisee and the publican up to the Temple Mount. So we get up to the Temple Mount, uh, the Pharisee is a man by himself. The story tells us that he stood apart from everyone else. He physically removed himself from the others. The Pharisee has also socially removed himself from the others. The, the word others is the Greek word hoi polloi. I just love the word hoi polloi. It means the masses in Greek, and as so many of you know, uh, in English it is uh, elitist derogatory slang for, for people who are of a lower social standing. I mean, this is right up there with the great unwashed and the riffraff. He's also spiritually removed from all of the others. He, thanks God that he's not one of the hoi polloi, and then he names a few of his least favorites in the hoi polloi, the the thieves and the rogues and the adulterers, and this tax collector who is, of course, by definition, uh, an unclean traitor. And he's also emotionally removed from the hoi polloi uh, because Luke tells us that Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. So, he despised and disdained the hoi polloi, the Pharisee. Now, I have a, I have a friend uh, who is an un-Pharisee. His name is uh, Tom Fortner. I met Tom when, uh, by the grace of God, uh, I was able to call his wife, who is an amazingly uh, gracious and gifted priest, to come to All Saints Episcopal Church in day school and serve with me in Phoenix, Arizona, which she did wonderfully. Uh, and Tom was the trailing spouse, and they brought their daughter Allie with him. And Tom has spent his life literally standing next to those who are despised and disdained. Uh, he stands next to them, not at, the, not at the court of the temple, but in criminal court, where uh, he uh, argues their cases before the judge and the jury. Tom has spent most of his life uh, as a public defender. He has spent 40 years as a criminal defense lawyer. Uh, he is a death row specialist, amongst other things, and he's now in private practice. And I, on Monday, I looked up his website, and it said, amongst other things, this was just something that caught my eye, Tom's expertise is in capital murder, death penalty eligible, all other types of murder and or manslaughter cases, serious felony charges included but not limited to robbery, burglary, assault, sexual assault, all controlled substance charges. So uh, Tom and Marion and Allie moved uh, to Phoenix, Arizona to live and serve there. And one day I was having breakfast and sitting at our little our little kitchen nook and gnawing on my food and I took out the Arizona Republic which is the big newspaper in the state of Arizona and, and down in the corner there is this little article about the state of Mississippi executing a man and I read the article and I took the paper to work and 
when it got to be a decent hour, I, I called up Tom and I said, do you know this guy? And Tom chuckled and he said, oh yes, I know, yes, I spent a lot of time with him. Uh, I sat with him, he was on death row uh, for much of his life. He, he, said, he, he, said, he said he was a great guy he, and he did bad things. He did murder those two people. That was very clear. He did bad things. And he said that he did it as a young man. He didn't really know any better, but he had spent his life in prison and had come to understand the terrible things that he had done and the, the, terrible, uh, the terrible things that were wrought by uh, what he had done. And he had known that he was going to die for what he did. And uh, Tom, uh, as a public defender, and this man's defender, tried to keep the state of Mississippi from killing him, but uh, they lost their case. And if my memory is correct, this man was executed in an electric chair in a penitentiary in Mississippi. <clears throat> I called uh, Tom last week on Monday morning because I was thinking about this sermon, and I wanted to speak with Tom about something he had said in a panel discussion at All Saints Episcopal Church in Phoenix. And uh, like all of you, we had an amazing congregation uh, in Phoenix. And along with Tom, we also had a man who was uh, the U.S. Marshal for the state of Arizona, uh, had been the junior warden, had been on the school board. I used to love it when he would come to school board meetings because he always had a pistol on his right ankle uh, and he was the only guy I knew who uh, showed up uh, with a pistol on his ankle. He had, a, he had a dangerous job and he took care of, of many, many things, uh, one, of which, uh, one of whom was Sammy the Bull Gravano, uh, who, uh, as you know, if you follow anything about the New York Mafia, did a tremendous number of terrible things, uh, killing many people. Uh, went in the witness protection program and then popped out of it. That's how I know that this man had something to do with Sammy the Bull. Uh, we also had as a member of our congregation the U.S. Attorney for the state of Arizona. Uh, and uh, an incredible, both of these men, absolutely uh, wonderful, wonderful servants of, of, of people. I incredible. And a, another man who had been the uh, Arizona State uh, Attorney General also. These, all, all four of these men, incredible, incredible human beings. And uh, they were discussing uh, the issues of crime and, and people in the state of Arizona. And then at a certain point in the conversation, uh, Tom says, well, you know, uh, some people, they just find themselves in the ditch. And he said that, you know, in rural Mississippi, uh, there's a ditch along the side of the road and when you drive by it, it looks dirty and gross. But there are beautiful things in the ditch, but you can't know it unless you get in the ditch. And he had told me about a print that was in their bedroom and Marion on Monday sent me a copy of the print and it's, it's a, a print uh, by a Mississippi artist called The Ditch and in it there is uh, there's some reeds and there's a beautiful bird and a turtle and some gorgeous flowers. And Tom said that when you get in the ditch, it gets real interesting real fast. 
And when he spoke uh, about the ditch in Arizona, I remember that he said that when he got into the ditch, he discovered there were beautiful things. They, there were people that did horrible, horrible things. You know, were going to spend their life in solitary confinement because of the horrible things they had done. And yet, they were human beings made in the image of God. And he said that some of these people are born in the ditch. They have, they have known nothing but the ditch. It's the only thing they know. They, they, they have no opportunity in their lives, no access to opportunity, life, no, no, no vision or seeing that there's another way to be. They just live their whole life in the ditch. And other people grow up in, you know, <laughs> on the road and in normal families, and they do terrible things, and they end up in the ditch. And Tom said, I have just chosen to go into the ditch and live my life with those people in the ditch. And when I was talking to him on Monday, he said, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, you know, drug dealers and thieves and burglars and armed robbers and murderers. Yeah, you know, those guys in the ditch. Uh, and then without missing a beat, he said, these are the people Jesus laid down with. Well, who did Jesus hang out with, right? Jesus hung out with people in the ditch. And he said, he knows these people. He knows their mothers and their fathers, their siblings, their friends. He said, you know, families can really, really love a person who did a terrible thing and be utterly distraught by what this person has done. And he said they feel terrible, terrible pain, terrible pain. And he said that the cases he's involved with never have a happy ending, never. 40 years, never a happy ending. Always somebody is upset. And he noted that through the 40 years that uh, it's a mother's love of, of all the people, the mothers, no matter how grim the situation, they stick with their kid. Even when, it's, even when the kid has done a terrible thing, they do everything they can to have that person's back. And when he was describing this, uh, it almost sounded biblical, you know, where, like the, the parable we talked about a few weeks ago. Tom said, these, the mothers, they wear him out. They, they harangue him. This is like the, the, the widow and the unjust judge. And Tom just said they, they stick with their child. And all I could think of was God sticking with us when, you know, just you know, for the good and the bad, for the way we are and the fulsomeness and the, the messiness of our lives. And after I got done talking with Tom, uh, you know, some time went by and I, I got some free time again and I called Marion, uh, who was just an incredibly human graciousness, talked about her, uh, her priesthood. And at the end, I said I enjoyed talking with Tom. And then she said something that really struck me. She said, Tom has spent his life humanizing people. Tom has spent his life humanizing people. And it got me to thinking about our own religious life. Does our, what does our religious life do? Does it humanize people? So we have the court of the temple. We've got Tom in criminal court. And the parable of the Pharisee and the publican takes place in a court, right? It's the court of prayer. And 
the Pharisee and the publican are each making their bid before the divine judge. And a judgment is pronounced in the parable. Jesus pronounces the judgment. Says, he says, I tell you, this man, that is the publican, the tax collector, went down to his home justified. In other words, he was up at the Temple Mount, he went down to his home justified, and the other did not. We all know from the parable that the Pharisee did everything right, and yet he got it all wrong. And so the Pharisee tried to love the Lord as God with all his heart and all his mind and all of his soul, but he left out that other portion of the summary of the law to love his neighbor as himself. That, that didn't come up. And we all know, I mean, we've all lived seasons of the Spirit. I'm looking at you, and I'm sure those of you who are streaming would agree with this, that for people who take their faith seriously, that piety can become pride, and that prayer can be poisoned by self-centeredness. I mean, even in the parable, which is very, very short, the publican uses the pronoun I five times. And we also know that the disciplines of discipleship can feel like us as achievements, kind of like merit badges that the scouts wear on the sash, but we wear them on the sash of our psyche. And the parable is very clear, right? It points out that religion does not guarantee holy-heartedness. Some of the scariest people in the world are the most religious people in the world. The surety of their self-righteousness, particularly when it's used in the name of God to demean and to destroy and dehumanize people, is utterly frightening. It's absolutely no wonder that John Lennon wrote that song, Imagine, with the line, Imagine there is no religion. Jesus is a tough guy, and he is not. He loves us. He loves us to the core like a mother, but he is not settled with the way most of us think sometimes. Just isn't. He moves his parables into our thought structures to blow them up, to take off our glasses and to put on divine sight, the glasses, the eyesight of God. And so the parable asks us, you know, does our devotion, you guys, you all have incredible devotional lives. I mean, you're, you're sitting here in church here, tuning in from home. You're all, you're all seeking to do the right thing. We're all seeking to do the right thing. But does our devotion lead to love? Does our devotion make us holy hearted or hard hearted? Are we hard hearted in some places? Does it lead to compassion for all, or does it lead to contempt? And does it lead to humility, or does it lead to self-righteousness? Does it unite us, or does it divide us? And we can all point toward parts of ourselves or parts of our religions that, that lead to hard-hearted divisiveness. It just is. Take a look at religiosity in America, and you can see it. You can just see it, and it's a powerful force. So the parable begins, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Holy smokes, man, we all know we live in a culture of contempt. Demeaning people, dehumanizing people, disdain for other people made in the image of God is part of the daily fare of the lives of our culture. For those of us who are older, it is, it's just horrifying, it's exhausting. It is deteriorating the mental health 
of those who demean and those who are demeaned. It is a terrible influence on our culture. And Jesus gives us the antidote from first sentence to the last sentence in the parable. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. In other words, the antidote to this culture of contempt is, is the culture of humility. It is the ability by the grace of God given to us not to stand off by ourselves, full of ourselves in our surety, but to stand with those who are disdained, those who demean, and those who dehumanize. It takes the grace of God to do such a thing. It is not easily done, but it is what Jesus is trying to get us to do. And God knows it's what our country needs. You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.